Good to see all of you, those of you joining us live and those who are watching at home. Welcome to church. Today we are in the fourth, and as um, Pastor Jim said, the final week of our series called Soul Detox. And in this series, we've been looking at this topic of forgiveness. And forgiveness can be a difficult topic for many, many people. I mean, we're all for forgiveness when we're receiving it, right? We really enjoy that. I mean, if you're here today and you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we are so thankful for the forgiveness of God. We're grateful for it. We're like, thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins, for sending Jesus. We especially reflect on that during this, this season of Easter. We're also grateful when other people forgive us. When we've hurt people, when we've wronged people, and they've said to us, you know what, you're, you're forgiven, I forgive you. It's like a huge weight comes off of our shoulders. But when it comes to forgiving others, sometimes that's a little bit trickier. That's a little bit more challenging. So let me get a show of hands this morning, ask a, a simple question to you guys. How many of you here would love to have a blessed life? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, look around the room. Almost every hand is up in the air. Nobody's out there going, no, pastor, I'd prefer to have a cursed life. I don't want to have a blessed life, right? But, but blessed isn't a word that's often used to describe most families today. In fact, if you're like most people, the word that you might use sometimes to describe your family wouldn't be blessed. It might be this word right here, crazy, right? So today as we wrap up this series on forgiveness, what I want to do is I want to unpack a really powerful teaching in Scripture from Jesus about the blessing of having peace in your home. Because honestly, so many of our homes today are not characterized by peace. Instead, if you look at most homes, people would say they're characterized by dysfunction and conflict and tension, especially the last couple of years with isolation and just kind of being in a house with a bunch of people at times. I know living in a house with nine people the past two years, it can be challenging at times. But I believe that God has something better for us. I believe that God desires something better for us, that he wants us to have homes that are characterized as being homes of peace. Now, some of you might say, okay, you are talking to me today, Pastor. I feel that my home has a lot of dysfunction in it. At times, there's a lot of tension and conflict, but most of it's not my fault. And the reality is that may be true. That may be true because every home has an incredibly difficult family member. Every family, if you're looking somewhere, maybe not directly in your home, maybe it's in your extended family, the people you see at Easter or Christmas or Thanksgiving, but every family has a crazy, right? A person who's just difficult to deal with. I think it might just be like a, a spiritual principle. In fact, to, to help me prove this to you today, if you're skeptical that every family has a crazy, being honest this morning, because you're in church and always it's really good to be honest, those of you who would say, somewhere in my family, somewhere on that family tree, we do have a crazy. Will you raise your hand right now? Lift it up high, lift it up high, lift it high. Look around the room, look around the room, look around the room. Almost every hand was raised right now. Almost every hand. Now, there were a few hands that were not raised. And remember, I said that every family has a crazy. If your hand was not up in the air, you may be the one, okay? You may be the one. See, relationships can be difficult and challenging. 
And it's amazing, especially in our families, how easy we can slip into these crazy cycles of just dysfunction. For example, my, my oldest two daughters, you heard uh, Lexi, who was up here singing earlier, but my eldest is Liberty. Lexi's our number two. They're 18 and 16 now. But I can remember back when they were little girls. And I told you guys in week one of this series that I was going to be really transparent with you all, um, and so I'm, I am going to be. But one of the crazy things that you need to know, you need to understand about your pastor, is that growing up as a little kid in Southern Maryland, that I had a dream, that I had this dream in my life to one day be a professional wrestler. Those of you who follow me on Facebook, you know last night was a good night for me because it was WrestleMania, okay? But when I was a kid in the late 80s and early 90s, like fifth or sixth grade, I had one big passion in life, and it was WWF wrestling. Andre the Giant, the eighth wonder of the world. The macho man, Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah. The nature boy, Ric Flair. Say it with me if you know it. Woo, that's right. And, of course, the immortal Hulk Hogan. I was a little Indian kid saying my prayers, taking my vitamins, and dreaming of one day becoming a professional wrestler. And so when I had children, I decided to instill this dream in them as well. And so I showed them my world championship belt. <clears throat> and I introduced myself to them as the people's champ, Big Bad Daddy. And I showed them our wrestling ring, which was my king-size bed. And I told them that if they wanted my title to be the man, you have to beat the man. And so my little children, Lib and Lex, who were around ages four and six at the time, decided to take me up on the challenge. And I warned them in advance. I warned them not to cry or scream because then the ref, mean mad mommy, would come upstairs and cancel the pay-per-view event. So this one time we're wrestling, and they both get up on my back and proceed to put me in a sleeper hold. And my girls are tough, let me tell you. They are, they are tough. They had it locked in pretty tight, and I started getting a little lightheaded. And I remembered what Hulk Hogan would do when he was in a situation like that. And so I started to shake. I started to hulk myself up. And I reached back, and I grabbed their little heads and I performed one of the most impressive reverse suplex moves you could ever imagine, and I flipped them right off of my back, but I flipped them so hard, they bounced off the bed and landed onto the floor. Now, have you ever had a matrix moment in life? What I mean by that is where, like, time freezes, and in the back of your brain, you go, uh-oh, I had one of those moments. And so time just started to slow down. It felt like an eternity, and there was just this eerie silence. And then suddenly it happened. The silence was broken by two little blood-curling screams. And they started crying and screaming. And Liberty was the first one up, and she pointed right at me, and she said, you hurt me. And then her sister bounced up, and Lexi was like, you were a, you were a mean, mean, big, mean daddy. And I tried to shush them, and I explained my wrestling name was actually Big Bad Daddy, not Big Mean Daddy, and that I was just acting, and that wrestling is fake, and they kept crying. And finally, I picked up my championship belt, and I said, quiet, if you want a chance of getting this, you need to stop crying right now, or you're never going to get this belt. 
And they both stopped crying. It was awesome. And they wiped away their tears. And they said, okay, Daddy, let's do it again. And they got back on the bed. And I rang the bell. Ding, ding. And then Julie walked in and I was grounded. <laughs> and I know that's kind of funny, but wouldn't, wouldn't you admit that so often in our dysfunctional family dynamics that it really boils down to that, you hurt me. No, you hurt me. Okay, let's do it again. And again and again and again, we wind up in difficult relationships instead of relationships that are characterized by love and peace. Now, I don't know what it could be for you. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to, to raise kids and, and your mom keeps looking over your shoulder, giving you some advice, and, and you're like, Mom, you just need to stay out of this. Or, or maybe there's tension between, you know, you and, and, and your, your parents or, or you and your kids, and, and you fight all the time, and you, you feel like nothing you ever say is kind of getting, getting through. And then, and then you, you get in a fight with your kids and, and you say, Kids, I'm going to count to three, and you count to three, and nothing happens. I'm going to count to ten, you count to ten, and nothing happens. And so then you give up because you're still fighting. Maybe you're here today, and you're a student. You're a middle school student, or you're, you're a high school student. You're a teenager, and, and you, just, you just struggle because you think, my parents will never trust me. And they're always just breathing down my neck, and they're so controlling. Maybe you come from a blended home or you're in a blended home and, and you're trying to raise your kids and our kids and there's exes involved and it's just complicated. And so you wonder with all of these moving parts and moving pieces, could there ever really be peace in this family? Some of you might be at a place where to this day you, you haven't forgiven your mom or your dad for something that happened years ago. And so today, I'm going to look at one of the teachings of Jesus that really just dives in on this topic. And I have tremendous hope that God is going to do some healing in the hearts of our people. This is what Jesus said. If you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to hang out today. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, picking up in verse 9. We'll also throw it up on the screens. But if you guys can help me out with this, say it with me, okay? He said this. He said, blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, in the New Testament, the Hebrew word for peace, does anyone know what it is? Shalom, that's right, it's shalom. And for centuries, the word shalom has been used as a greeting for people. And its original word for peace actually meant a little bit more than kind of what it's used as today. When we think of the word peace in our English language and we think of shalom, we think, you know, I wish you the absence of bad. I wish you to have peace in your life. I wish you don't have hard times. But it actually also meant in its original meaning that I wish you the highest good. I don't just wish you not to have bad. I wish you the highest good. I wish you to be blessed. When Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers, he means if you want to have the highest good, if you want to have the blessings of God pour into your family, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And when Jesus said this originally, everybody listening to him, church, you got to understand this, would have been shocked. They would have been stunned. Because in that culture, it was, it was different than our culture today. We, we've grown up having this, you know, Judeo-Christian influence in our life and, and knowing these words of Jesus that have kind of been poured into it, especially if you grew up in a Christian family or Christian home or, or were raised in the church. 
But back then, this would have been radical. This would have been something new. This would have been shocking because everyone there had been raised with a different mindset. They had been raised with the mindset, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When someone hits you, you hit them back. When someone steals from you, you seek revenge. And Jesus was saying something so different and so shocking and so radical. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a higher calling. There's a higher ethical calling for those who want to follow me. Now, if you notice, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. And there's a big difference between being a peacekeeper versus a peacemaker. For years and years and years, many of us, especially middle children, have tried to be peacekeepers in our families. Well, what's a peacekeeper? Here's the definition. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Peacekeepers work around issues, not through issues, trying to keep the peace. Peacekeepers are conflict-phobic. They'll avoid conflict at all costs because conflict is uncomfortable. Because conflict can be cringy. A peacekeeper's motto is, let's change the subject. Let's talk about something else. Oh, you guys are fighting over doing that chore. I'll just do it. Let's just calm everything down. Let's just avoid it. Uh, peacekeepers, you know, you're sitting together at an Easter lunch and, and there's a difficult conversation that begins and they change the direction of the conversation and they say, let's just smile and act like we're all getting along even though we know there's a tension going on behind the scenes. But we're not going to show it because we're, we're going to put on a face and we're going to pretend to be a big happy family. And, and then what happens is, is weeks go by, months go by, sometimes years go by. And the issue that's laying under the surface begins to rot, begins to fester, until somebody in the family finally explodes. And it's like, well, where did that come from? I didn't see that coming. Well, what happened was there were dozens and dozens of unresolved issues that just got buried in the name of peace. But Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacekeepers. Makers. So what's the difference? Well, here's what a peacemaker will do. A peacemaker will embrace conflict to achieve peace. A peacemaker is not going to work around the issue. They're going to work on the issue. And with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, our homes can truly find peace. Now, in, in a cultural Christian home, and by that I mean a home that maybe is just Christian in name only, when there's a, a hard time with someone it's easy to just write them off. Well, forget them. I want nothing to do with them. I've been burned once. I'm not going to get burned again. I mean, are you kidding me? After what they did to me, why would I ever, ever forgive them? They'd have to come back crawling on their hands and knees to me, and then I'd make them pay a little bit before I thought about forgiving them. And that's normal in our culture. That's normal in our world. But in a truly Christ-centered home, in a home where people are striving to follow Jesus, we ask a different question. We ask, what does Jesus teach us about how to do relationships? And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then the Apostle Paul says something pretty powerful in Romans 12, picking up in verse 17. He says this, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul taught, live a life of peace with everyone. Now, for those of you sitting back right now saying, I hope so-and-so is listening to this because God bless them, they need to hear it. Don't go there this morning. Don't go there because you're missing the point. You let God speak to you. Paul says, as far as it depends on who? You, that's right. As far as it depends on you, do everything possible to live at peace. And let me ask you a question. Ultimately in this life, who's the one person that you have control over? Yourself, that's right, you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So if we're going to be a Christ-centered home, if we're going to be living in a family that's going to follow Jesus, we're going to strive to be peacemakers. Well, how do we do that? We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning just kind of unpacking that. I'm going to give you three practical things, things that you can go home and start applying right now in your family on how to be a peacemaker. The first thing that peacemakers do, if you're taking notes, if you want to jot this down, the first thing is this, number one, we tell the truth in love. We tell the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says it like this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Notice it doesn't say yell the truth in love, right? You never put down the toilet seat, you big moron. That's yelling. That's not speaking. And by the way, that's also not in love. We tell the truth in love. Now, as some of you guys know, those of you who know me, know my background, um, I received my graduate degree, I have my master's degree in clinical pastoral counseling. And in that program, there were a few things that I was taught that are real good for the tool belt, that really pertain to this topic, and, and they really stuck with me. And so I think these bits, bits of wisdom, again, could be tools in your tool belt. They might be helpful to you as well if you want to jot these down. But how do we do that? How do we tell the truth in love. A couple things to remember. Number one would be this, to tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. Tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. That's when it's best to work on important issues. In other words, if you're in the middle of a giant big argument with someone, that's probably not the best time to bring up a new issue to discuss. We work on relationship issues in our family and we tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. The second tip is this. Number two, we attack the issue, never the person. We attack the issue, never the person. Don't say, you always do this, you big stupid jerk. No, instead we talk about our feelings and we say, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. When you leave the toilet seat up, it makes me feel like you don't care about me when I fall in the toilet in the middle of the night, okay? See, people are more likely to listen and less likely to get defensive when they're not being personally attacked. When someone starts blaming you and personally attacking you, what is the natural reflex? This, right? That you put up your defenses. But when somebody talks about how they're feeling, it's a little bit different. It allows a conversation to happen. And and I'll give you an example when Julie did this very, very effectively with me. In our small group, and and I know many of you are are part of our small group on Thursday nights, but historically in our small group, I sometimes have the tendency to talk a lot. That's my small group laughing. In fact, my Indian name is one who tells long-winded story, okay? Just kidding, but not really. I tend, like many pastors, to suffer from diarrhea of the mouth, 
And so sometimes I have a thought, and my wife is speaking, and she's sharing something, and I'm not really listening to her. Instead, I'm thinking, I can solve this, and I got a good story. And I start cutting her off and interrupting what she's saying and take over. Some of the women in here are giving me dirty looks right now. I see them <laughs> around the room. And I know, I get it. I get it. I have started over the years to see how that can be really insensitive and rude to my wife. I understand that. Well, evidently, I was doing this pretty often, and Julie did something very, very wise. She's a very smart woman. And, and let me tell you, first off, what she didn't do. She didn't publicly scream at me and shame me. She didn't say, would you just shut your fat face, you fat-faced preacher man? She didn't do that to me. She didn't call her sisters or her mother and start to complain to me. Let me tell you what my no good, inconsiderate husband did to me this week. She didn't do that. That's when life and small group gets interesting if she pulled something like that. But she didn't do that. Instead, she waited a few days. And then she approached me when things were going really, really good in our relationship. We were having a fun night. We went out to dinner. We were on a date night. And she approached me during that time. And she said, she said, I got to tell you something. AJ, you're, you're an amazing husband. You're a great father to our kids. And she listed several things that she liked about me. And then she said, but there's one thing that you sometimes do that kind of hurts. And you probably, you probably don't even realize it. Because if you knew that it hurt my feelings, you, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. And I'm like, I was curious. And I was like, why? Tell me, what, what is it? She said, sometimes when I'm sharing about something important, you interrupt me and you just take over the conversation, and it makes me feel like you're not even listening and that I'm not very important to you, that you don't even want to hear me. And in my mind, as she's telling me this, I start thinking how to solve the problem, and so I interrupted her. <laughs> Any men feel me? <laughs> and she, she said, see, 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 that right there. What you did right there, just like that, when you do that, it makes me feel like you don't care about what I'm trying to say and you're not even listening. And here's the thing. When she did that, it was very effective because she affirmed me. She didn't personally attack me. She gave me the benefit of the doubt that you probably don't even realize that it makes me feel this way. And she explained to me very clearly how that made her feel. And guess what? I heard her. I was able to receive that. And I'm not perfect, okay? We talk about this all the time. No perfect people here, including your pastor. I'm not perfect. But now I really try to recognize if I'm about to cut her off and I pause and I think before I speak, especially if we're having a conversation together and she's sharing something with me. I really try to listen to what she says. Another effective thing I try to do is active listening where I'll repeat back what she says. So what you're saying is this. And it gives her the opportunity to correct me if I misunderstood her. And she knows I listened to what she said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As Jesus followers, we tell the truth in love. And we love people enough not to avoid issues and run away from conflict. But sometimes to work through conflict to find genuine peace. And so to help us out, I made a couple little statements that might be useful to you. Examples on how you might better communicate your frustrations. So here they are. You can jot these down too if you want to, okay? When you don't listen to me, I don't feel valued. 
That's an I feel statement. Here's another. When you lie to me about things that are really insignificant, it makes it hard for me to trust you. I feel hard to trust you. When you constantly check your phone at dinner, I feel like I'm not important to you. Let me pause for a moment on that one because I feel like God wants to speak to some of our men this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, men, put down your phones when you're connecting with your spouse. Amen? And I'm guilty of that too. So number one, we tell the truth in love. We confront the issue not the person, and we do it in non-conflict times. That's what peacemakers do. Second practical things that peacemakers do, number two is this, we apologize when we're wrong. We apologize when we're wrong. James uh, 5.16 says it like this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. What do you think our relationships would look like if when we sinned, whether it was intentional, whether it was accidental, but when we messed up, if we actually took responsibility for it and we confessed it and we apologized, I'm so sorry, what I did was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And then you prayed together. Can you imagine how different our relationships would look if we actually started to do that with the people that we love? Peacemakers apologize quickly when they're wrong. Now, how do we do that? Well, we admit a specific action instead of making an excuse. We say, here's what I did wrong. I don't have an excuse for it. We don't say, I'm sorry I looked at something inappropriate online, but if you had been meeting my needs, I wouldn't have had to do that. That's not an apology. That's pathetic. Or, or I'm sorry you got your little feelings hurt, you sensitive little snowflake. That's not an apology. And that's not love. We apologize for specifics. I'm so sorry that I made that joke and you felt belittled in front of your friends. I have no excuse for it. I should have built you up with my words, not tear you down. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I, 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 should, have, I should have called when I was running late. It stressed you out. It made you worry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I threw your evil cat out the window. It wasn't nice. I shouldn't have done that. You guys get the point of where I'm going. Also, there's a big difference, and don't miss this, between remorse and repentance. Between remorse and repentance. So often people stop with remorse. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that happened. That's remorse. Repentance is, I was wrong. I sinned. I'm sorry for my actions. Will you please forgive me? And don't just stop with, I'm sorry. When you've actually sinned against someone, seek forgiveness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And this may be difficult to do, but it's critical. It's critical if we're truly going to be people who are following Jesus. So number two, we apologize when we're wrong. And then the last one, number three, number three, we forgive and let go. We forgive and let go. Peacemakers forgive and they release. And let me just walk gently through this with you for a moment, because at this point, I know that for many of you, there's a tremendous amount of pain. And some of you, even right now, you may be thinking, well, you know, pastor, that's easy to say, but you have no idea of what I've been through. You don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know what was done. And to that, I want to say, you're right. You're right. 
I don't know. And I may not have been what you've been through. And it was wrong, and it hurt, and there's a lot of pain. I may not have been what you've been through, but Jesus has. But Jesus has. He understands betrayal and pain and suffering beyond our imagination. Some of you, your spouse betrayed you, committed adultery maybe multiple times, and you think, how could I ever forgive them? Some of you, someone you trusted lied to you, deceived you, left you in a really tough place, and it's difficult to forgive. I, I know there are those of you, and you had someone in your family who should have protected you, and instead they took advantage of you, or they neglected you, or they abused you. And you say, how in the world do I forgive something like that? I don't even want to forgive. And I'm not here this morning to tell you that this is easy. It's not. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And on your own, it may be impossible for you to forgive. But with Christ, it's possible. With Christ, it's possible. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse as to how. He says this, last, last verse of scripture we'll look at this morning, Colossians 3.13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. This last line's critical. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we forgive? That which seems unforgivable. Paul says we do it this way. We forgive as the Lord forgave you. I want to ask all of you who call yourselves Jesus followers a question this morning. Has the Lord forgiven you of a lot of sins? Nod your head if it's true. I know he has for me a lot. Has the Lord forgiven you freely even though you didn't deserve it? Has the Lord forgiven you even though there was no possible way you could pay him back or you could earn it? That's how we're called to forgive, to freely forgive as we've been forgiven. That's what followers of Jesus are called to do. And that's what God wants from us, to forgive as the Lord forgave you. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to some of his sons and daughters today to forgive their parents. For some parents in here today to, to forgive their kids if you've been hurt, rather than being full of anger and bitterness, which will just slowly destroy you throughout your life, wound those around you, why not choose forgiveness? Why not choose forgiveness? As followers of Jesus, choose to be full of compassion and love and grace and forgiveness. Don't just walk out or walk away from a conflict and say, forget you. I don't ever want to see you again. I'm going to take my stuff and go home. You're dead to me. Followers of Jesus don't write people off. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We show mercy as we've been shown mercy. And while we're at it, if we're, we're followers of Jesus, guess what? Family isn't just blood. Family goes beyond that. Every person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. They should matter to you. Family is also the body of Christ. 
And when we act like Jesus, we forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. When there's drama at church, we forgive. Because just like there's no perfect family, there's no perfect church. And so we pursue peace with one another because we're called children of God. So I've got five kids. Guess what? They all look a little bit like me. If they're lucky, they'll grow up to look a little bit more like their mom. But they all look a little bit like me. And guess what? When we make peace, when we do everything possible to live at peace and to forgive, even when someone hurts us, guess who we start to look like more and more? We start to look more and more like our Heavenly Father created in His image, conformed in the likeness of His Son, Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, we pray today, God, that in your presence, that you would do a healing work. God, and only a way that you can do. So we pray today, I want to ask three questions. First question I want to ask is, is that your prayer today? If your prayer today is, is God, by the power of Jesus, make me a peacemaker. I want to be a peacemaker with those around me. If that's your prayer, would you just lift a hand up really high right now, just as an act of faith to him. God, I want to be a peacemaker. All over the place this morning. Hands up all over the place. Praise God. Thank you. That's your prayer. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to get a little more specific now, and I want to ask, how many of you in your life, there's a wound, there's a scar, there was a, a betrayal or a brokenness in a relationship, and you know that's a relationship that's not right. And if that's you right now, and you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know there's a relationship in my life that's just not right, it's broken. Would you just lift a hand right now and say, would you pray for me? I've got a difficult situation. Praise God. Again, so many hands this morning. God, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be a peacemaker. God, I pray first for everyone who said, Lord, that's my prayer. God, that I wouldn't be a Christian in name only, but I want to be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. God, give us the courage to tell the truth in love, to own whatever we've done wrong and be willing to apologize and also to be willing to forgive as you've forgiven us. God, I pray specifically for those who raised a hand and said, I've been hurt, I've been wounded. I got a relationship in my life that's not right. God, I pray for your peace. I pray for the ability to forgive that which at times can seem unforgivable. God, I pray for the grace to deal with difficult people in life. And I pray that we would have the courage to confess our sins, to pray for each other that there might be healing. God, I pray for miracles today. I pray for the healing in some marriages. I pray for the healing in some parent-child relationships, even with adult children. God, I pray for healing in sibling relationships, in relationships with other people in our life. We pray, God, that in your presence, your Holy Spirit would bring true and lasting healing today. Now, as we, we conclude this time of prayer, I want to speak, I want to speak to the person here who might be thinking, 
I don't think I can forgive as the Lord forgave me because I don't even think I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not a Christian. Well, if that's you this morning, the good news for you is that today can be a day. Today can be your day. Today can be the day where you reach out and you say, God, I need you. Thank you for meeting me right where I'm at. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need your son Jesus in my life. If you're here today and you would say, that's something I need. I need the forgiveness of God. I need a relationship with God. Would you have five seconds of incredible courage right now? And would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus in my life. Is there anyone today? Praise God. I see that. I see that. Anybody else this morning? And this is why we do church, folks. I, I believe this is the greatest decision anyone could make in their entire life. And maybe you're here today and your heart's pounding in your chest right now. That's God speaking to you, telling you you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You're watching online for a purpose. You're sitting in a pew for a purpose. I'm going to ask one last time. If you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, would you just lift up a hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Praise God. Let me pray. And you can join along. You can use your own words. There's nothing magical in what I'm about to say. This is just you speaking from your heart and your mind to your heavenly Father. Say, God, thanks for loving me. Thanks for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of wrong in my life. But today, this first Sunday in April 2022, I want to move my faith off of myself and what I've done. And I want to move it on to my Savior, Jesus, what he's done for me. I believe that he died for my sins on the cross. And I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he rose from the grave. And I want him to be my savior and my Lord. God, help me to turn from my old life and step into a brand new life and a brand new personal relationship with you. God, help me to know how to love you day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life. I love you, God. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Church, can we celebrate? This, uh, this closing song the worship team is going to sing is really about new beginnings. For some of us, it's maybe a new beginning stepping into this prayer that God make me a peacemaker, change the way that I relate with people in my family. For some of you, it's again stepping into a relationship with Jesus and receiving that forgiveness. But none of us are there yet. All of us are called to continue to take next steps and grow in our relationship with God. So let's stand and sing together and sing new wine.
with your spirit uh, as we go out this week into our, our homes, our jobs. Lord, that we would bring your grace, your forgiveness, your love with us. Lord, I pray you would give us the, the strength and the courage of heart to forgive those in our lives that need forgiven. And Lord, the faith to embrace the forgiveness that you have given us. I pray these things in your name.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And reminder, if you're a first-time visitor, bring your card out to Pastor AJ out there in the lobby.